Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Come on, who's excited for church? We have not met. My name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we started this crazy place called Bold about five years ago with a dream. Uh, maybe you're new and you haven't heard it. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people could explore faith. So if you're new to church, you are VIP. Believe me when I say that. We created every element of this church we created with you in mind. Uh, we hope that you don't just hear and study about God, you experience him. Because God's not just a person to be studied, he's a person to be experienced. And uh, before we begin our collection of talks, it's a, a new one today, let me give you some, uh, some announcements, some opportunities for you to take your next step in the faith in this church. I announced last week, Growth Track is today, I apologize, it's next week. I'll take the blame, sorry, forgive me. Uh, the growth Track is, listen, is that class where you not only discover the why of our church, you discover your why. You don't just hear the vision of this church, but you, you discover your gifts. And if you want to take your next step, if you love this church, you want to take more community, more involvement, don't just attend church. Listen to me. Build one. And I want everyone to go to the growth track. And number two is we're trying to turn up the spiritual temp temperature of this church. And we had a prayer and worship night in January. We have one in March. Right, that, We're going to have another one in May. And that one's going all night long. Come on. We don't just want them to have fun in the club. We want to have fun in church. And, and on April 1st, it's not April Fool's Day, even though it's the same day, uh, on your seat you may see a, a, a card that says, the future belongs to the bold. And the reason why we put that on your card is so that you can invite friends and neighbors and family members to church because the, there are two days during the year, listen, that if you invite even an atheist, they won't say no. Easter and Christmas. And on that day, April 1st, we are going to go around to our community and hang a thousand door hangers because we just believe everybody needs Jesus. Amen? Amen. And we, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Let me jump into today's text because I'm letting you know right now, get your tissues ready. It's one of those messages. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. This is our theme verse. But we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Someone say never die. Never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then... When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. And if you are new to church, if you've never been to church, you've never, you may have even heard this verse. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the next four weeks, I promise you, you've never been part of a collection talks that talks about this. It's the best way to die. The best way to die. I'm telling you, this will be a heavy sermon collection talks, but it's going to be inspiring. Amen. And as a pastor, I have this burden to feed you, to teach you, to, to build you up in the faith. And every year we got, we got to cover things that we just have to cover. For example, we, we, we got to do a relationship series because whether you've been married 30 days or 30 years, everyone needs help. Amen. 
And right after Easter, we're going to be doing a collection of talks called Beauty and the Beast. Invite your friends. It's going to be awesome. And uh, every year we got to talk about money. Why? Because Jesus says everyone has two masters. You can love one and hate the other. You will either love God or money. Jesus is the number one idol of your heart. It's not sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's money. And we got to talk about those things. And, and then every year, my wife and I, we pray. We ask God for wisdom and guidance. God, give us a word. Tell us where to go, what to preach. Because there's 52 weeks in a year. And God gave us a word for this year. You may have seen the stickers on the way in. Word and spirit. Amen. We even had a conference this last year. Because there are two kinds of churches. Word churches and spirit churches. And, and just like in a divorce, and a child has to pick which parent to live with. Uh, the church in America has this great divorce where there are some churches that lean on the word but don't have the spirit. And then there are churches that lean on the spirit but don't have the word. And we kind of wonder, in a healthy family, kids need two parents, right? Spiritual kids need two parents as well. And we want to bring the word and the spirit together. But then the other times, it's like, well, I just put my ear to growth to groups. and Like, what are people talking about? Sometimes God gives me a dream and tells me what you're doing in, in, in secret. Tells me your sins. <laughs> I wish, not right? Uh, but every once in a while... I am a pastor. I know some of you don't think we're very intelligent, but we do research, right? And I read this article in the Harvard Business Review that like blew my mind. And I'm believing it's going to blow your mind. Look at this statistic. Look what it says. A hundred percent of us will die one day. I didn't know this. I didn't know this until Harvard Review told me. It didn't occur to me. God, thank you for statistics, right? This means whether you're tall, you're going to die. If you're old or young, you're going to die. Whether, well, listen, if, whether you're white, black, Asian, Persian, Mexican, everyone's going to die. Listen, if you exercise and don't eat Taco Bell and get eight hours of sleep, you're still going to die. And if you're like me and you eat bacon and Taco Bell, we're just going to die sooner than the rest of the you. <laughs> right? Everyone is going to die. And, and before COVID, most of the people in this church were very young. We thought death only happened to old people. And the reality is I saw more death in the last three years than I did in the last 30. Aren't you glad you came to church today? And the problem with death is that we often delay thinking about it. We don't want to address it. We don't want to even think about it until we're right there. And by then it's too late. And I want to challenge some of you that the way you see death affects the way you live. It affects the way you live. Either... What I do matters or what I do doesn't. And if it doesn't, listen, what the Bible says, let's drink and be merry. Amen? And let, me, let me explain it another way. In the, in the movie, uh, Disney movie, Alice in Wonderland, the, Alice is in Wonderland. She's lost in this forest. And she comes to this fork in the road. And there's this cat. Even in Disney movies, cats are demonic, right? And this Cheshire cat goes, where are you going? She goes, I don't know. Help me find my way. He goes, well, if you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter which way you go. And some of you, that's how you live your life. You think life is just this lifetime. It's, it's just a coffin. You're just going to be buried in a wooden box in six feet of dirt, and that's all that there is. But what if there's more? What if this life prepares you for the next one? What if what I do here echoes into eternity? And, and this is where faith and science diverge. There are many doctors and nurses that are part of our, 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 our community of faith, and God bless you guys. You work in hospitals that are trying to delay death. That's why when they no longer can help you, they remove you from the hospital and put you in a hospice. Because we can't stop death from coming. And, and no one wants to die. And, but science will tell you when the pulse stops, that's death. But faith, faith says something different. Faith says because the tomb is empty, 
that's not the end of me. I wrote down like this, science will define death, but faith defies it. And let me remind some of you, like myself who went to public school, what defy means. Defy means to openly challenge the authority or power of someone or something. To not conform to, to follow the pattern set before you, to renounce. Faith renounces death. Faith says you have no power, no authority. And listen, you, I have to no longer fear you. The Bible says that, that God did not give us a spirit of fear. See, fear is not just a thought. It's not just an emotion. The root of both those things is a demonic spirit. And the origin of it is, is not God. Faith says, I don't die when I physically die. Science says I do, but faith says I enter into eternity. And it's going to be challenging to hear some of these messages over the next four weeks. But I promise you, on Easter Sunday, we're talking about the resurrection of the good. But until then, get ready. Get ready. Hebrews chapter 2 says this. Since the children are made of flesh and blood, it is logical. It makes sense that the Savior took on flesh and blood. We believe Jesus entered human history as God, became fully God, became fully man. The infinite became finite. The eternal became mortal. He put on flesh and blood in order to rescue them, that being me and you, by his death. By embracing death. Someone say death. death. Taking it into himself. He destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. The title of today's talk is this, don't be scared. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be scared. Turn to your other neighbor and say, don't be scared. I want to speak to you on the idea, the fear, about the fear of death. Let's pray because I need some help today. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank God for that powerful worship this morning. Thank you for the worship team that entered, allowed us to enter your throne room, God. God, now we look to your word. We pray that our hearts would be open, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, to our individual situations, that we would live here changed by the power of your spirit. Lord, we honor you. We praise you. This tribe has a vibe. And if you believe that everybody said, Amen. everybody said, Amen. come on, bold tradition. We just get loud for Jesus. I, uh, I've been wanting to preach this message since May of 2022. Uh, it's been about almost a year now that this message has been on my heart. And really, primarily, it's because I saw so much death the last three years. Uh, I, I never experienced, I told my wife often, I had never had anyone in my life pass away. And I, I want to show you a picture of someone that's very close to me. Uh, that's, that's my mom on the right. That's my sister on my left and my brother-in-law. And those are all my nephews. And those are my two little girls. And right next to me, I have my hands on the shoulders of my father. And for those of you that are new to our church and don't know this, but in May of 2021, I had the privilege and joy of baptizing my father. Crazy. And the reason why that, that is so powerful is because the first 18 months of the church, I didn't tell him I was a church planner. He's like, this was like just a church I was involved in, right? Because he was an atheist. He disagreed with faith. And I hid it, not to lie to him, but to protect my mom. Because he wouldn't take it out on me. He's, he's old and blind. He's not going to do anything to me. He's going to yell at my mom. But what's so crazy is the church that he didn't want me to start is the church that he got saved in. 
And a year after that day, I said goodbye to my father. And what's so beautiful about his story is, yes, he got saved. But he was 82, and only one of those years was a Christian. Which means 81 was, was wasted. Wasn't redeemed. And I'm in a room full of Christians who are running the rat race. Trying to get from a Corolla to a Tesla. Trying to go from two bedrooms to three bedrooms. Thinking the only thing that's going to satisfy you and the purpose of your life is the American dream. No, God has a bigger dream for you. And I saw COVID not just kill family members. I saw it kill faith. I saw it kill businesses. There were people in this room that when we were at the hotel, you were on fire and you have not been the same since. I saw a third of our church who used to come regularly to church and then I haven't seen them in, in almost three years. And I feel this burden this conviction. Yes, we can celebrate the salvation of my father. But I say this in the most loving way that I can. What, what would have happened if he had given God 81 of his years? Because I think the vast majority of you are not at home smoking crack, you know, gambling your life, ruining your life. You're wasting it. Giving it to someone other than God, the one who created it. And so I'll I want to address this fear that everyone has. It's the fear of death. That's why when we get older, we're like, we want legacy. I want my life to matter. That's why people have a midlife crisis when they're 40. Because when you're 20, you think you're invincible. Right? And then you're 30 and you wake up and your back hurts. Like, oh my God. What happened? Talk about it, right? I want to address that. And what I'm hoping to do is to inspire you, to encourage you. You don't got to be afraid anymore. I got three points. Number one is this. There are fates worse than death. There are fates. When you see death, when you think it's scary, listen, there's something scarier than death. And when you have that mindset, you're not afraid anymore. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. All who cower, someone say cower. Afraid through life, scared to death of death. You know what's scarier than dying? Not really living. I wonder how many people in this room, God told you to start a business. God told you to write a book. God told you to quit your job and stop working for a paycheck and start living for him. And you're afraid. I was researching and they said that, that every phobia that we have, there's actually a phobia beneath the phobia. So I need some audience participation. Anyone a germaphobe? You're afraid of germs. Honey, you better raise your hand. You better... I come home, she goes, hi, wash your hands. Some of you, yeah, you're not really afraid of germs. You're afraid of the germs killing you, by the way. Anyone here afraid of snakes? If we release snakes, yes, totally. I, I'm I went on a pastor's retreat, and guess who they threw a snake at to laugh the loudest? Yes, me. I was going to play that video for you, but I don't want to go to counseling at your laughter. Anyone afraid of spiders in the room? Anyone afraid of spiders? Too many liars, if I can... In my home, I'm not lying, my daughters, they kill the spiders. <laughs> You're afraid of something. We're just going to find out what it is in a moment. Anyone afraid of the ocean, jaws getting you, or maybe just fish? Anyone afraid of the ocean? Mm -hmm. Anyone afraid of heights? Oh, wow. You're afraid of heights? Oh, my God. Anyone afraid of flying? Wow. I was expecting one to make fun of someone, right? 
Because fear stands for false evidence appearing real. And it's irrational. Why am I not afraid of heights, but I'm afraid of spiders? And why are some of you afraid of flying, but not afraid of driving? Listen, you are more statistically likely to die in a car accident than a plane. And yet, there are people that will never go to Hawaii. They'll never see the, the, the food in Italy. The, they'll never experience the sunsets in Australia because you can't drive there. And that's what fear does. It paralyzes you from the life that you're supposed to live. And I wrote down like this, don't, don't miss life trying to avoid death. Because the thing that you're afraid of will cost you more than the thing itself. Cost you more. Listen, I got to pick on some people in this room. God bless you for working out and eating your vitamins A, B, C. Eat your alphabet if you want. You ain't preventing death from coming. Right? Some of you, it's, it's 2023, and God bless you, but you still wear a mask. Okay? Wear the N92. The N90, wear a Halloween costume for all. You can't stop death from coming for you. Wear a bulletproof vest. You, it's not thick enough to stop death from coming for you. And yet, we are missing life trying to avoid death. And the question is, when, how am I going to die? How am I going to die? The question we should be asking is, how am I going to live? How am I going to live? That's why I love the movie Braveheart. Anybody ever watch that movie? If your hand is not up, that's your homework as your pastor tonight. Put your ears, fingers in your ears when they start cussing and there's nudity, but the rest of the movie is awesome. If you've never seen it, let me give you a synopsis. Uh, Mel Gibson is a Scottish dude and he's fighting the resistance, the, the, the tyranny of England and he, they rally to get freedom. At the end of the movie, after all the fighting and you know, all the drama, he gets captured. William Wallace and the princess, there's this one scene where the princess comes in the dungeon and says, William, just recount. Recant your beliefs. Just say you don't believe these things. If you do, they'll let you go. He's like, no. She's like, they're going to kill you. He's like, I don't care. She's like, you will die. And then he says this, everyone dies. Not everyone really lives though. That is such a, so that's a quote some of you need to live by. But before William Wallace, we don't even know if he really said that. Let me tell you, there's a dude by the name of Jim Elliott, who's the original OG. Maybe some of you know his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, and she wrote 20 Christian books. She's one of the national bestsellers. They, in 1956, went to Ecuador, five married couples, all under the age of 30, to reach the unchurched people in a tribe in Ecuador that didn't even speak English. And for two years, they passionately shared their faith with people who didn't even speak English. One morning in 1956, after being there for two years, the five husbands go out to preach on, guess this, the love of God. And these tribesmen literally killed all five men. There's a movie that came out maybe a decade ago called End of the Spear. After Elizabeth Elliot and the rest of the women mourn, they go to the tribes people and they preach, guess what, on the forgiveness of God. And 90% or most of the tribe come to faith. After being there for two more years, Elizabeth finally comes home. And she comes home with his journal, her husband's old journal. And they turn into a book you can buy it on Amazon. And he has this quote that will rock your world. He wrote it one week before he died. And he wrote this. 
I pray not for a long life, but a full one like you, Lord. Show of hands, how many of you in this room are the age of 33 and older? Come on. Reason why, keep your hand up for a second. Some of you, your hands should be up. I've got to preach on lying, apparently. Keep your hand up. We all lived longer than Jesus. And no one lived a more full life than him. I wrote down like this. We ought to stop obsessing over the length of our life and start obsessing over the quality of it. I need to illustrate this to you because I, I don't know how else to explain this to you. But imagine for a moment these marbles represent the time in your life. Some of you are literally losing your marbles and li- um, figuratively and literally. But if I could explain the amount of time that you have using these marbles, uh, I'm going to try to do that in a moment. So imagine if we statistically say the average person lives about 70, women live longer, they don't have to take out the trash, their back doesn't break. We have to do that. <laughs> Talk about it. But they say if you add up all the time that we go to work, like add it all up in the car, driving, it's about 26 years of our life, a third. And then this is overtime, right? (laughs) And then if you add up all the time, we're asleep. We're supposed to sleep eight hours a day, but we don't. Netflix has too many good TV shows, right? Some of us have kids, so we don't sleep at all for like a couple years. And so if you add up all those, amen, that's right. If you add up all those years, it's about 11 years of our life we sleep. (laughs) Then they say, if you add up all the time, You sit chewing your food. Thank God for mathematicians that think about stuff we never think about. It's four and a half years of your life. Crazy. Then we haven't even got to the the fun stuff of life. Screen time. Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, The Last of Us, the great TV show if you're missing out. All right. That's not even including the the four to seven hours the average 18-year-old spends on social media. TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That's another 11 years. And what we're left is a few marbles. And at this point, we haven't even lived. We're just surviving. I got nothing against eating and sleeping and screen time. We need to do those things, but we haven't even lived our life yet. And we have a choice. How will we spend the remaining... Marbles that we have. And the vast majority of us, myself included, we will live in fear, stepping out in faith. Or if we do, we'll live for ourselves. And we'll get to the end of our life, and it's empty. It's empty. There's nothing to show for it. But there's another example that I want to teach you about. His name was Jesus. And he didn't live to 70. The, we, all we know about Jesus is between the age of 0 to 12, and from 30 to 33. From the age of 12 to 30, there's nothing in the Bible about what Jesus was doing in his life. And many theologians and scholars believe that during that time, his stepfather died, Joseph, who was a carpenter, which means as a young man, maybe a teenager, Jesus had to drop out of school and take care of the family. And we think, what a waste. But no one lived a more full life. And like all of us, Jesus had to sleep 
And he prayed sometimes all night long. Jesus loved Taco Tuesday, so he, he had to eat too, you know. He had to go to work. He, did, he was a carpenter before he did ministry. And like all of us in this room, maybe Jesus didn't have screen time, but he had other things that he did. But like all of us, he has one-third of his life left. So how do I convince you that he lived the most full, the most complete life? Because he did something that most of us failed to do. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which means he didn't just die as our substitute. Listen, he lived as our example. He's not just the truth and the life. He's the way. Which means the way that he lived, I want to live that way too. The way that he walked, I want to walk that way. The way that he loved, I want to love that way too. And Jesus did two things better than anyone who ever lived. He lived the great commandment, which is to love the Lord with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. Which means literally he loved God every opportunity he had and he loved people. Me, I'm not sure if the lights will be able to show me, but imagine for a moment I have these few remaining marbles. And by the time I was 18, I was still living with my parents. I'm going to pretend Gerson is my dad. I, would, I gave my mom and my dad some of those marbles. I vacationed with them. I lived with them because I cared about them. And then in my 20s, I, I'm going to give this to Sam. I lived with five or six Christian guys all the way until I was 31. And I met this spicy chili pepper named Yasmin. <laughs> right? And then we started dating. And then we started living together. And then we started vacationing together. And then we started doing stuff I can't talk about, but kids came out of that, right? And then when I started having kids, I stopped having hobbies. My kids are my hobbies now. Let's just put a couple of marbles here because they're taking all of mine. But I still got a few marbles left. But I want to build God's church. So I'm going to give it to Mari and Doggo because I want to build leaders. I'm going to give it to some people in the church who, who want discipleship. And I want to give it to Anna and Freddie because they're not just babysitting. They're, they're doing leadership development with our kids. And what you'll see is it looks the same. We're both empty at the end of our life. But there's a difference because time is a gift, which means the way I use my time is actually an altar. If he gave it to me, I want to give it back to him in worship. I want to live my life the way you want me to live my life, Jesus. I don't want to live it for me, selfishly doing what I, I want to give it to you, God. And often that is the tension because you will serve in church and you will feel like it's a waste of time. Why am I here? Why am I giving it to these kids, these demons that someone else is raising? Come on. Why am I standing outside for two hours? Why am I going to group every week? Why am I putting door hangers this feels like a waste. And you'll get to the end of your life, and your life will be empty just like the other person who lived it for themselves. But there's one difference. If I gave you a marble, will you put your hand up? I live my life for other people. I can see the impact. I wrote like this, if you want to die full, live empty. If you want to die full, live empty. And in this illustration, I'm seeing my impact. But I'm telling you, that's the tension. I don't want to give church too much time because it's a waste. I don't want to go too hard for God because it's a waste. Jesus gave everything that he had. 
to God and people. And he lived the fullest life. It says actually in Hebrews chapter 1 that he had the oil of gladness, which means he was the happiest person who ever lived. You may never see the impact that you're having. Nine times out of ten, you will pour out your marbles towards God. You'll give him marbles, and you'll never see the impact. What I love is the story of, of Mari and Dago. Many of you know them. Can we give it up for Mari and Dago? Five years ago in, I think, the fall of 2017, Mari came to church for the very first time, received Christ, and then in January started bringing her husband. And you could tell he wasn't saved. How do I know, Pastor Ali? He was mean mugging me with his arms crossed, right? That's how I know you're not Christian. You're sitting like this, all angry. And I love tacos just like you. And then they both became Christian. And after four months, they served for the very first time together on Easter. I want to encourage some of you. you got a great opportunity not just to bring a friend to Easter, but to serve and, and give one of those marbles to Jesus on Easter. And what's so crazy is that Mar began putting on social media, began telling her friends about the, the life that God had transformed. She had a coworker, a single mom with two kids who was dealing with depression. And this woman not only came to church and found hope, it didn't change her situation. It changed her perspective. And Mari got to see how her marble changed another person's life. The tension that many of you are going to feel is, I don't want to serve at church. I don't want to help in kids. I don't want to be part of the welcome team. I don't want to hold a camera. I don't want to sing on the worship team. That's a waste of time. I want to, I want to do a little bit, but not too much. I'm telling you, you're going to get to heaven one day and someone's going to come up to you and say, do you see this? I'm in heaven because you gave that marble to God. If you want to die full, live empty. Live empty. What's crazy, though, is the fact that we live this way and we don't realize that our phones, like when it gets down to like 20%, what happens? Low, low power mode. And so what we do is we put it on this setting and now we're preserving energy because we know our phone's about to die. Now we only do things that are super important. The problem with this analogy is that you think you know how many marbles you have left. Some of you are living your life as if you have 80%. You don't, bro. You got to live your life on low battery mode. Living as every moment is precious. You only want to do the most important things. Point number one is simply there are things scarier than dying. Point number two is this. Death is often unexpected, but never random. My daughter is seven. The moment she was able to walk around nine, ten months old, her and I would go to the park. It has never failed I'm not hating on anyone. It has never failed. I go to, babe, I'm going to the park. Don't take your eyes off my daughter. Which is funny to me because when my kids are misbehaving, tell your daughter she's going to be in trouble. They're my kids when they're misbehaving. But when I'm going to the park, they're her kids. And my wife will say, oh, don't take your eyes off of my kids. I will cut you. Because statistically, we're, we're afraid. We hear about kidnappings. We hear about kids being, and statistically they say the same number of kids today are being kidnapped as they were 20, 30 years ago. Don't tell the moms that though. But because of social media, the, we know about it more. 
And so the fear has risen. And we live in this fear of it can happen in any moment. That's what my wife says. It can happen in any moment. Which is funny because any moment to us is the moment to God. Because if I were to ask every person in this room who follows Jesus, do you believe that God has purpose for your life? Some of you become ratchet. Oh my God, yes. Get all crazy up in my face. God has a plan. You start quoting verses to me. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you. I got it even in high school. When I, when I graduated high school, I, I tattooed it on my back, Pastor Alley. For I know the plans I have for you. Yes, I know. Some of you who are a little bit more Christian would, would even quote Acts 17. For God determines the time and the place where you live. Two years ago, we did a collection of talks in Esther. I was born, Pastor Alley, for such a time as this. That's why I get all ratchet on my birthday. It's not just a day, it's a whole week. Because I got purpose. But the moment we talk about death, we start freaking out. Let me fix your broken theology. If God determines the time and place when you're born, he determines the time and place where you die as well. If you have purpose in your birth, you got purpose in your death as well. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God is in control of both. Job chapter 1 says this. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job said this not when he's on the mountaintop. He said this in the valley. When his kids died, his wife divorced him. He's dying of skin disease. His, his home has collapsed. His business are gone. He has lost everything. And he says, everything that I have was first a gift from God. And if he determined when and where I was born, he determines when I go. See, some of you, you can like not only give the day that you're born. Some of you are so great. You can give the, like the day of the week. Like I was born at three o'clock. October 27, 1980. Awesome, bro. I, I know personally that God determined the time and place because he knew I couldn't last in the 40s and 50s. He knew I needed Wi-Fi and Taco Bell to survive. And if I was born in the 1800s, pff, a week max and I'm dead. Right? I'm gone. And we have this confidence, this assurance that God knows what he's doing. I didn't pick the city I was born in. I didn't pick my parents. I sure as heck didn't pick my sisters. Still traumatized over that. And yet, when I ask you, does God have a plan for your life? Most of you, without hesitating, would say, yes. I was born for such a time as this. God has a plan for my life. God brought this woman in my life. God brought this man in my life. God gave me these kids and this job, and he put me in this city to be a missionary for him. And yet we don't have that same sense of calling and purpose over our death. And we avoid it living in fear of death. Jesus says it like this in Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. I want to know. Fear him who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. Whoa, time out Jesus, bro. Come on. It's a little extreme. And if this is all that you read, I wouldn't want to follow Jesus either. But don't stop reading. God's heart about why he's saying this is about to be revealed. He's going to redeem this statement. Look what he says. Fear him who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Jesus is now teaching us about economics, supply and demand. 
Why do we got to give five birds away for two pennies? Because nobody wants them. They're not valuable. There's so many, we have to give them away. And he's using this analogy to say, man, if, if these things that are so, there are so many of them, they're so insignificant that you don't value them. They're worth two pennies. But look at God's heart towards these birds that we don't value. Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Not one of them stops breathing without the creator of heaven going, I know. I know. I see it. And it doesn't say it in this text, but birds are not made in the image of God. You are. So how much more do you think God cares about you and loves you and is attentive to you? So much so, look what he says. The Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Every time my wife takes a shower, I think she's been raptured. Because <laughs> there's more hair on the wall and on the ceiling. I'm like, God took her. She's gone. Every husband in this room knows what I'm talking about. Talk about it, right? It's like, what? I'm like, babe, you lost. She's like, I didn't lose that much hair. I'm like, there's, a, there's more hair here than... God knows every hair that falls. And ladies, he knows about the eyelashes that you glue on and the weave that you... He knows about that too. And the point that Jesus is making is your death is not some random thing. If I see a bird falling and I, and I see it, you don't randomly die either. Your death is in my hands. If I can... Give some confidence to some of you who are exploring faith. God's not in heaven with a big red button going, ha, 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 they're dying now. Not only is your birth in his hand, your death is in his hand. Not only does your birth have purpose, when you leave it has purpose. Cancer doesn't take you. COVID doesn't take you. A car accident doesn't take you. Jesus does. Some of you are more afraid of cancer and lupus and every other disease than you are with Jesus. God will let you go when it's time to go. Stop living in fear. If he had purpose in your birth, he has purpose in your death. But we live in fear. We live in fear. I wrote like this. The great theologian MC Hammer says, can't touch this. When that spirit comes, that's who you need to quote. This means that not only does my life have purpose, my death has purpose, which means I cannot experience death until my life has fulfilled its purpose. When I was 30 years old, I was single, and I wanted direction for my life. I had been a youth pastor for five years, and I was in the tech industry. I was a software engineer for 14 years. At the age of 30, I said, God, what do I do? Do I go all in with the tech industry, or do I go all in with you? Went to this conference in Northern California, Bethel. Loved that church. Loved the way that God uses them. And had this radical encounter with God. If that makes you uncomfortable, get over it. You're at church. And God, like, almost audibly spoke to me. I want you to start a church to reach unchurched people. And something weird happened in my head. I, like, became invincible. Like, I wouldn't wear my seatbelt anymore. <laughs> Stop taking my vitamins, you know. I'm like, I'm not going to die. And I would joke with my friends, like, bro, like, would there be turbulence on a plane? I'm like, we're fine. They're like, how do we have so much God? God has a plan for my life, yo, okay? We're not going down until he accomplishes that. For seven years, that was my attitude. 
that we're not, I'm not going to die until I start this church. And then in 2017, my wife and I, we started a church to reach unchurched people. We launched at the Hotel Valencia at Santana Row. It was awesome. We saw 200 people come that first day. It was amazing. And in five short years, we've seen over 300 people say yes to Jesus the first time. It's awesome. But after that first day, let me tell you, I had two thoughts. Number one was, won't he do it? Come on, Waymaker. And number two was, uh-oh, I can die now. I can die now. Uh, and that's why, that's, I'm being honest, that's why COVID was so challenging. I'm like, God, you're done. Because we weren't growing, we weren't reaching people. I'm like, okay, it's, am I, am I, that was my thought. And I hear, encourage some people that you think the best days of your life are behind you. If you're still breathing, God still has purpose. If you're still walking, God's still watching. And it wrote like this, you're not done when you die. You die when God's done. Because you're not going to go to heaven until God is done with your purpose. And I had to learn this the hard way. May of 2021, I had the, the joy of baptizing my father. May of 2022, I was in the hospital room with my dad. If you remember the last week in April, we had the guest speaker, Jason Parrish, came. And that night, we were, I was supposed to go to dinner with him, and I got a phone call from my mom saying, you know, Ali, you're, today's the day. And we got to go back actually two weeks prior to that. On April 17th, 2022, was probably the, the most joyful day I've had in the last three years. We did church online for a year, and then church for two years at 5 o'clock. It was painful. It was hard. We barely grew. But on Easter of this last year, we had 185 people let me tell you, for me, wondering, is God done with me? Is this church done? It's crazy. Like, I didn't know if our church was going to survive. And let me just pause and tell you, that's like a pilot saying, welcome to Southwest. We're flying to Alaska. And uh, I don't know if this plane's going to make it, but <laughs> buckle up. That's what it felt like. Like, I'm confessing my sin. I'm confessing my, my burden to you. I don't know if we're going to make it. And on Easter, we had 185 people. And my mom and dad couldn't make it that day because that day my dad was admitted to the hospital. He had asthma, but he got COVID. And for the next two weeks, he was on a breathing machine to be kept alive. And some of you know my dad. You, you saw him, you shook his hand, and he, he kind of like, he was blind, so he didn't really shake your hand back. And it was hard to see him because every time I'd go, I'd be like, Allie, let's get out of here. Like, I can't, Dad. And during that time, I wondered, like, God, what is the purpose of this guy suffering, being on a breathing machine in Kaiser? Like, I didn't see it, but God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And at the end of April, on April 30th, I got a phone call from my mom saying, Allie, tonight's the night. And I say goodbye to Pastor Jason Parrish, who was our guest speaker, and I drive to the hospital, and they gave my dad morphine because they're going to try to reduce the pain as he transitions from this lifetime to the next. And I didn't understand that God won't let you go until he squeezes purpose out of you. For those last four hours, my dad prayed for his grandchildren. He prayed for lost relatives. He asked for forgiveness. He said, if I ever hurt any of you, I'm sorry. 
And he said, I love you more to me in that room than he did in the 30 years prior to that. You're not going to go until God says you're ready. Until God squeezes purpose out of you. Some of you need to stop being afraid and you need to start giving your marbles to Jesus. I wrote it down like this. Don't be worried about going at any moment. It's not any moment. It's the moment. And until that moment comes, God has you in his hands. And nobody can touch you. No disease, no madman, no tyrant, no economy, no politician. No one can touch you until God says you're ready. There are scarier things than dying. And death, although it seems sudden, it's never random. And number three, you overcome death by embracing it. See, maybe you're here and you're exploring faith and you're a non-believer. Like, if God's real, God's so awesome, Pastor Ali, why didn't he heal your dad? It's a valid question I think the church should answer. How do you know those two weeks God didn't keep my dad alive? But let's say God were to heal my father. What's the point of keeping an 82-year-old alive? He's going to die eventually. And see, sometimes we focus on physical health and God is focused on spiritual health. And the reason why I had joy walking out of that room was because I knew I'd see my dad again. And the way you overcome death is by embracing it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cowered through life, scared to death of death. Jesus did not destroy death on a cross. He destroyed its stronghold, who holds the keys of death. Now I have a door at my house, front door, and the purpose of that door is determined by who holds the keys. That door's purpose is to keep you out. I love you, but you ain't coming in. But whoever holds the keys holds the purpose of that door. Look what it says in Revelations 1 verse 18. It says, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. This is Jesus speaking. The one who lives. I was once dead, but now I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys to death and hates. Jesus, he didn't just pay for your penalty of sin on a cross on Friday. Everybody needs forgiveness. But that's only part of the gospel. He went to hell and he said, excuse me, Satan, these belong to me. And where the devil uses the fear of death to keep you paralyzed. I wrote down like this, where the devil used death as separation, Jesus now uses death as invitation. And I struggled. How do I tell a bunch of techies, God, not to live in fear that this life is just the beginning. The analogy that I came up with was the same way that a baby that's in the womb, it's alive, it's breathing. Babies can hear the voice of their parents and kick. They're alive. They eat, they, they breathe, they, they're alive. But babies are afraid of coming out of the womb. That's why they cry, oh my God, it's cold out here. It's more comfortable in the darkness. It's more comfortable in the womb. But the womb is preparing them for real life. You and I can look at any baby that's in the womb and say, this is not life. 
It's when you come out. And God is trying to tell you and I, this is not life. Eternity is. That's why it says in Philippians 1, 21, it says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I wrote down like this, what we call death, heaven calls birth. You don't need to be afraid anymore. God has a plan and purpose for when you come in and when you come out. The what you should focus on is not the length of your life, but the quality of it. Give your marbles to Jesus. Let him redeem it. Embrace it. It's weird. I was sad but joyful on the day my father died. I was sad to say goodbye, but I knew I'd say hello again. If I get you to stand and close your eyes, I want to pray for everyone in this room. There's three people in this room that I need to pray for. First group of people. If I can get you to bow your heads and close your eyes. First group of people. You are, by all accounts, afraid. You live with the spirit of fear. And Jesus conquered the grave. And he did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. The only thing worse than dying is not really living. And in a moment, I want to encourage you to repent and say, God, I'm sorry for being afraid. I'm sorry for not having faith, seeing eternity the way that you see it. God, I pray for every person who hears the sound of my voice that they've been living life paralyzed, fearful. God, let them bring their time, the remaining days that they have as an act of worship, as an altar to you giving you their life because you gave you the, us yours. There's others of you in this room, you, you've been wasting your life, living it for you. It's time to say, God, my life belongs to you. Jesus only lived for 33 years, but he lived the fullest, most complete life. He lived it loving God and loving people. And that has not marked your life. And maybe today you leave different. Say, God, the things I thought were a waste of time are the things I need to be more involved in. Show me, God, the impact that living a life loving you and loving people is going to have. That I'm going to meet people in heaven one day, bringing me my marble, saying I'm here because of you. Pray for those, God, in this room that can hear the sound of my voice. May they live their life like you, Jesus loving God and loving people. But before you embrace death, you need to embrace Jesus. And there are some of you in this room, you, you have never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let me give you the gospel as fast as I can. 2,000 years ago, you and I could never make our way to heaven. And because God knew that we could never bridge that gap, God became the bridge. God became a man. He lived the sinless and perfect life, born of a virgin, Jesus did not come to give us a book or religion. He came to die on a cross for our sins, to pay our penalty of death. And on the cross, he did not just pay for your death. He defeated sin, death, and hell. That's the good news, that you get everything that he offers for free if you simply believe in his sacrifice for you. And you know how much he loves you? Five sparrows are worth two pennies but he knows every hair on your head. You're his kid. 
He made you with his image. You were born in this period in time for a purpose, on purpose. And you don't need to fear death because Jesus died in your place. But you can't receive that life, the redeemed life, until you place your faith in him. On the count of three, I want to give you that opportunity. If you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, with every eye closed and every head bowed, one, two, three. If that's you this morning, would you just shoot your hand up? You pray that prayer. I'd love to pray this prayer with you. Just say out loud, thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. Thank you, Jesus, for living a sinless life. You lived the life I couldn't live. And then you died the death I should have died. I repent. I turn from my sin. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. Thank you for embracing death on my behalf so that I could live. Can we give it up for those that prayed that prayer? Before we continue worshiping Jesus, I just got to ask, what's your next step? What's your next step? Next week is growth track, March 19th. If you prayed to receive that prayer, I would love if you could fill this out. We would love to give you a book called Following Jesus. And some of you, it's time to not do life alone and sign up for groups. Others of you, at the end of April, we are doing baptisms. We already got someone signed up. Would love. We've got people doing baby dedications as well. Would love to help you on your next steps in Christ. Before I give it back to Ethan and the worship team, let me just quickly play for our offering. God, thank you, God, that every perfect gift from above comes from you. God, we want to give our time to building your church. God, we want to give our life to loving people. Help us build this church in the most unchurched region in the entire country. God, we bring our tithes, we bring our offerings, not to get love, but because we already have it. Not to receive something we're trying to earn, but because we already are loved, received, forgiven, we give it as an act of faith, saying thank you for dying for us. Thank you for embracing death. Thank you for dying on a cross for our sin. Thank you for going to hell and getting the keys of death and hades. Thank you that I don't have to be afraid anymore. If you believe that, everybody said. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you found this message encouraging and inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that God wants to speak to you. See you next time.